0: Hi, this is Liz Craven. Welcome to Sage Aging. This is your podcast for understanding the aging and caregiving journey and connecting to the information and resources that will make your experience better. Before we dive in, let me remind you that you can find all Sage Aging episodes, the Sage Aging Elder Care Guide, and much more at eldercareguide.com. Hello, friends, and welcome. This is episode 65. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We all know that as we age, lots of things change, including our physical and mental health resilience. While the physical ailments older adults endure get a lot of attention, mental health conditions are often overlooked or they're attributed to general aging, and that's not a good thing. As with everything else we discuss on this podcast, the best way to prevent this from becoming an issue for you and for your loved ones is to educate yourself and become aware of what to look for. If you are a family caregiver, a professional caregiver, or you love someone who's aging, this conversation is just for you. Joining me for this episode is Penny Williams. Penny has been a licensed clinical social worker in the healthcare field for more than 35 years. Currently, Penny works for Reliance Medical Centers as a well-being advisor, providing supportive therapy to older adults and the disabled. Additionally, since 2003, she's served as an adjunct instructor at the University of South Florida, providing education and guidance to future social workers. She is a true treasure and brings with her a wealth of knowledge and Experience and I am so excited to share her with you today. Welcome to the podcast, Penny.
1: Thank you, Liz. It's great to be here.
0: I'm so glad to have you here and I'm super glad to be celebrating Older Adult Awareness Month. Now, I'm aware that some people may be listening to this at another time frame and it's a fleeting moment you know, to have just a, a an awareness month or awareness day. But I think it really is a good idea to shout it from the rooftops and make this a conversation that is normal and that is encouraged and that is engaging. And so that's our purpose here today, because not just in
1: May should we be discussing these topics, but all year round. Right, right. It's, it's good to have awareness months. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with it. There seems like there's Several every month now, but they're all very important. Mental health awareness, older Americans, all those things are very important to bring attention to because there's so much there that people need to talk about and people have questions about.
0: Yeah, I misstated that, didn't I? I said Older Americans Month instead of Mental Health Awareness <laughs> Month. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's like she said, there are a lot of them, but at any rate, honoring all, any, and all of those is a good thing, and any opportunity to bring some of these conversations to the surface is a great thing in my book. So I'm excited that that's our topic for today. So before we get started, I have a new little thing that I've been enjoying with my guests, and I want to ask you to tell me two words
1: that describe yourself. Well, let's see. I think I would say it's two words, but even-keel, very Mm -hmm. difficult to get me flustered. That's a good one. Right. And I also think I'm a caring individual, so I would say caring.
0: Oh, those are great. I love the even-keeled
1: one. I tend to be that most of the time. Now, I'm a little bit more easily flustered at home, but professionally, you know, and I think most people think of me as that, as being someone that, uh, well, she doesn't get upset about these things very easily. So, you know, we'll, we'll go and get some feedback or advice. That's great.
0: Well, that's a quality you definitely need in your line of work. So why don't while we're on that, why don't you tell me a little bit about what your career is?
1: Well, I am, as you said, a licensed clinical social worker. I've been licensed in the state of Florida since 1989, which makes me old. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been a social worker um, for over 35 years now. I can't believe it. But I've always worked in the field of health care. I've worked in hospitals. I've worked in mental health. I've worked in outpatient clinics, and now I primarily work for a primary care physician, providing therapy um, in that office setting. So I've uh, always been kind of circling around health care mm-hmm. um, and social work. I do enjoy very much being an instructor at USF, so I've always kind of kept that a little bit on the side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It makes me feel good to, to work with young people. People that want to know more about social work, want to know more about aging. Mm -hmm. Um, That's always kept me kind of mentally up to date and staying involved and motivated. Yeah, it's nice to have a hand in shaping the future, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it also makes us not take things for granted quite so much. Because when somebody asks us, well, why do you do that that way? You think, okay, yeah why do we do that that way? Is there mm-hmm. a compelling reason? Is there something that needs to be updated or refreshed? It keeps us keeps us up to date. That's really great.
0: Do they keep you up to date on all the other things too, like social media apps? And do you know what all the slang means?
1: <laughs> I do not know what all the slang means, but I do know that sometimes I know some things, some of People my age don't, so it it does help to be around young people.
0: Yes, yeah. it does. That's what makes yeah. me feel old when something pops up and I have no idea what it is. So I, I do rely on my millennial girls to tell me. Right. <laughs> but now mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well you guys are, are hitting the three zero mark. Right. Are <laughs> You're you, gonna be the old people next.
1: <laughs> yeah, or you reference something, a movie that to you was a few years ago and right. they're all like um, I think that was when I was in elementary school and yeah. you're like, uh, okay, <laughs> I, I mean, love need it. to refresh my resource here. <laughs> you
0: know, though, I, I totally am embracing this time of life. I'm 54. I don't care who knows how old I am. You know, I don't feel old. I don't feel young. I just feel me. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty happy with that and enjoying life, just embracing everything that comes in my direction. So I guess that's a good thing. Well, let's jump into our topic. And I want to start, if you don't mind, with setting the stage about older adults and mental health, because I think it tends to be something that is often overlooked and underdiagnosed when there are mental health issues. Are there any relevant statistics? And can you set the stage for us that way to give us a picture of what
1: that looks like? I can. I can. Um, the World Health organization tells us that about one in five elderly people, and for them, in this case, elderly is 65 and older, that one about one in five suffers from a mental health issue. Now, that may seem like a lot to some people. It may seem low to some people. But for those that it seems like a lot, remember that that includes dementia Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: dementia-type illnesses. Those are technically classified as mental health issues. Interesting. Yes. So um, that keeps it a little higher than what we might think. So that adds it up. Mental health isn't necessarily a natural part of aging. Uh, in fact, younger adults statistically have more mental health issues than older adults. However, older adults are less likely to get help and to seek help. Right hmm And that makes complete sense. I
0: believe there are a lot of generational differences that, that play into that culturally, you know, meaning before your issues for my age group and older, it was something you dealt with inside the walls of your home. You didn't take your issues outside. You might talk to a doctor, but most of the time, even the doctors were not going to refer you to seek some help for mental health. It was just not a thing. But now it's far more acceptable and encouraged to really pay attention to your mental health as much as you do your physical health.
1: Correct. Um, There's a lot of shame and stigma over the years that's been associated with a mental health diagnosis. And you're right. We have broken that down, that that barrier, quite a bit over Mm -hmm. the years. We still have some ways to go. But that's one thing we can thank our younger generation for, is they have really worked hard to break down the barrier, the stigma, the limitations of having a mental health diagnosis. And the more that we can um, break down that barrier, the more people are open to help. Right,
0: which is very important. So how often do you think mental health diagnoses are missed? Or how often are they attributed to something else that is just categorized as just aging?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, just like many things that are missed, it's difficult to put a number to that Mm -hmm. because... They're missed. Right. There was a, a pretty good study that I found that was done, but it goes back to 2009. And they did a pretty in-depth study of practitioners. And this wasn't just for the elderly. This was for people of all ages. And they missed diagnosing depression in over 50%. <gasps> Ouch. Over 50% of people that, that presented to their offices. Wow. So we know that it's, it's very high. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's difficult to count because it's like incidences of child abuse or incidences of domestic violence. It's hard for us to know and put a very good grasp on that number because people don't come forward with it necessarily. Right. Um, we don't have easy statistics for people that feel like they've made a mistake. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people tend to cover that up or not be very forthcoming, so it's limited but But we do know that it's high, it's right. much higher than it needs to be. So not only are there misdiagnoses, but they're also missed in my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So we have both of them. Dementia and depression are often confused. That being said, there aren't necessarily mutually exclusive either. You can have dementia and depression along with it. But sometimes it can take an in-depth assessment for both to determine which is more so going on. Right. Do you think that the
0: majority of doctors are aware enough of the difference between them or are skilled enough to differentiate and help
1: find the right diagnosis? I think many are. I think many physicians do have the the ability to do that. Their time, just like our time, is limited. Right. Uh, And depending on the situation in which they're practicing, their time may be more limited than others. Mm -hmm. I think that more physicians these days are willing to make referrals to mental health providers, and to maybe um, brain health assessments, more Mm -hmm. in-depth dementia workups, to make sure that they do have an accurate diagnosis. So I think they have these skills and abilities, and if they'll take the time to pick that apart.
0: Sure. Now here's another important part of that, I think, in my mind, It's important for the families to understand this concept as well, that there might be something to look for, because isn't it the feedback from family members and caregivers that the doctor receives that assists in making the proper diagnosis?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's very important for family members, if their loved one will allow them to do so, to accompany them on an appointment and to give as much feedback as they can to tell them this is not normal. This is not what I'm used to seeing. This is how this, you know, my, my mom or my dad used to be. This is how my husband, you know, was before he retired. And this is how he is now. Mm-hmm. Family members, caregivers, you are the expert. You yep. know your loved one better than anyone else. Don't be afraid to express yourself. Don't be afraid to continue to give feedback. If you're getting some pushback, keep on keeping on. Get a second opinion. Seek out more in-depth evaluations. But don't forget, you're the one. You're the one that knows better.
0: Right. That is such good advice. And I would even add to that, make sure that you are keeping a daily journal, of your loved one's behaviors. If you're at a place where you start to feel concerned, you can compare from day to day. Wow, three weeks ago, dad was eating three meals a day. It was not a struggle to get him to the dining table. He was independently brushing his teeth and grooming before bed, but now we're having some issues with this, that, or the other. Those are really important things to note because they signify a change that's happening for your loved one. And it might be inconsequential. It might just be that they had a bad week and they weren't feeling well. But if you see behaviors that change permanently and foods and smells and things like that, that something they enjoyed before and now they can't stand it and it's repulsive, there might be something going on. And those are all good things to put in your journal so that you can
1: communicate that to your doctor. Right. And sometimes, uh, as many caregivers do tend to, we tend to just live on the day-to-day basis because otherwise, you know, we can't necessarily fulfill all the duties that we need to when it comes to taking care of someone else Mm -hmm. and ourselves. And when we focus on day-to-day, we tend to not see the bigger picture, and that means if there's a significant decline, we may not see it as well, because we've seen a little bit every day, we don't necessarily catch it as exactly. well. So journaling might be important to that. Um, it also might be important to get feedback from people that maybe haven't visited in several months. Mm. Um, Oh, you know, wow, I see a very significant decline. So think back and consider, is this a big change? Right. That's a
0: really good point, getting the outside point of view from a neighbor or Mm -hmm. a family friend or somebody like that. How many times do you look at a child you haven't seen in a while, and you saw them a month ago, the next time you see them, you could swear they've grown a foot, and Mm -hmm. they look 10 years older? Right, right. (laughs) The same thing. Mm -hmm. We don't see things. That's such a good point, that we don't see things the same way when we see someone every day, because it's a gradual progression. Right. Very good. That's really good advice. So what are some of the most common mental health conditions that you see present among the folks that you care for?
1: Well, of course, dementia, if we're including that in the Mm -hmm. statistics, that makes up about half of that 1 in 5, that 20% that I mentioned earlier. Right, right. Wow, that's a big number. I know, I know. And depression is about 5%. And then anxiety, most people think depression is the most common mental illness, but it's actually anxiety, Anxiety comes in at about 8%. Wow. Yeah. So anxiety is a little bit higher up there and more common.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Fear, um, not wanting to to go out as much, not wanting to participate in even just a lot of activities, even around the house. Right. uh, Because there's that anxiety component. Sometimes as we age or as we are diagnosed with illnesses, We become more fearful of of falling. We become more fearful of um, being overwhelmed by a particular situation or by uh, numbers of people. Right. So therefore, we will tend to isolate ourselves. So anxiety actually is the most common, again, behind that dementia.
0: Which really goes to speak to the mind-body connection. You know, you have, so let's say that we're focusing on the body part. You might have a physical disability that keeps you from being as mobile as you once were or makes you fearful of falling. And the anxiety that comes along with that might really be the thing that's keeping you from going out and enjoying the things that you used to do. So let's talk about that for a minute, the
1: mind-body connection and how that all works together. People aren't their diagnoses. They're, they're complex. You can't address physical component without considering the mental health component, and vice versa. They're intertwined, and you can't just keep one in a vacuum without thinking about the other. We do know that there are some physical diagnoses that are more often accompanied by mental health diagnoses. For example, heart disease has a higher incidence of depression, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, has a higher incidence of anxiety. Hmm. Yeah, so we do know that some things tend to come together, but we all know, we've all met, or know at least one, maybe more, people that tend to focus on the negative. Yes. And when we see them, we kind of, you know, we take a big sigh before we enter in the conversation because we know that there's going to be, a huge focus on negative, negative, negative. Right, um, and those people are more likely to suffer from physical illness. They actually kind of create their own um, <laughs> destiny. Isn't, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Right, but and and then ironically, the things that they need the most—social interaction, mental challenges to keep their brains fresh—they tend to push those things away. Mm. um because they tend to isolate themselves. Right. So yeah, people are complicated.
0: They are. Yeah. Do you find that families are more open these days about discussing these issues? You know, so you have the older adult who comes in and visits with you and you discuss with them, but are families becoming more engaged or is it still a hands-off kind of thing?
1: I think they're more likely to be engaged if the older person or their loved one allows them to be. Mm. Um, we still have to, you know, in, in healthcare profession, we have to follow a thing called HIPAA, which mm-hmm. is privacy, confidentiality, people that are still, um, you know, have the capacity to make their own decisions, still have the right to self-determination. So if they don't want us to talk with their loved ones, then we, we can't. Um, right. Now, many... Many are more than happy than their family, you know, to talk to their family or give you permission or have their family come in with them. It's not by far the majority, but I think the ones that the people allow them to participate, they do participate. Do you find those to have more success in overcoming some of their issues? Yes, I do. Because whether it's dementia, depression, anxiety, the more involvement you can get and their support system, mm-hmm. um, their families, their caregivers, the more involvement you can get. It really does, you know, distill a, a phrase, take a village. Sure. And the more people that can come in there and work together to try to keep that person more socially active, more cognitively and mentally active, the more people that can provide care, not just for their physical health, but for their emotional health, right. um, the more that that happens, the more likely you are to have success.
0: Right. So building on that village concept, then what are some of the things that families
1: should be aware of and look for? Well, let me say, I'm a social worker. So I am used to looking at the environment. And we are taught as social workers that every resource is full of uh, resources and support systems and things to use, even when it seems pretty pretty dry. But we have to open ourselves up to what those options are. Mm-hmm. For people that, that do go online, the, the options are endless. For those um, who prefer in-person, we're hopefully getting closer to the end of our COVID restrictions so there are support groups out there. There are definitely some good publications that are out there and also things like this podcast where you can listen to on your own time. You can listen to it with a group. You can listen to it by yourself. You know, anytime you need to cut it off because the, the timer for the chicken has gone off, you can <laughs> hit pause, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit pause <laughs> and come back later. Um, but so there are things that are out there. There are uh, case management agencies that you know mm-hmm. people can can utilize. There are many good professionals um, through home health agencies and private care agencies. Even primary care physicians' offices can offer good resources to people. Right? Yeah. I mean, at Reliance, you know, if the family asks the physician, they know what places they are comfortable with and which ones they have the most luck for getting some support to get some help for people. Right. There can always be more help and there can always be more support. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people don't use what's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. Neighbors, volunteers, their churches, their community organizations that they're involved with. There are many people that have time on their hands that would be more than happy to reach out, even by phone, and and just to talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes we don't take advantage of those things.
0: You're right. And this is a great opportunity for me to put in my plug for people to take a moment to know who your neighbors are. Look around. If you don't know the first and last name of the person who lives on either side of you, so you've got four sides to your house, most neighborhoods anyway, I want you to know every single one of your neighbors and know a little bit about them so that you know if they don't go outside for a week and you haven't seen them or the garbage can is still down at the end of the driveway after four days, that there might be something you need to check on. So be a good neighbor. Check on your neighbors. Help whenever possible. Because it's very likely that somebody in very close proximity to you is alone And needs a little bit of support. And sometimes all that support means is waving on your way to work when you go by and saying, Good morning, Mary. I hope you have a wonderful day. And those kinds of things really do make all the difference in the world, especially as it relates to mental health. I think that we can all do a lot as neighbors to facilitate good health. Right. And the other thing is, what would be some red flags or warning signs? that we would look for to say, hmm, I might need to check into this a little bit more?
1: Well, a lot of the red flags are really kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. But again, sometimes when we're just living day to day, we try not to see the big picture. Recently, I had a, I was talking with a, a caregiver who had noticed that her elderly father had gone from drinking a couple of beers every evening to hard alcohol, and just so everybody knows it wasn't her that was getting it for him <laughs> <laughs> it was someone else, uh, but she she noticed this that's that 's a red flag sure alcohol substance use overuse of even prescription medication mm-hmm. if we catch something like that, anytime someone is diagnosed with an illness that may have more likely to have a, a side effect of dementia, mm-hmm. Parkinson's disease, um, some things like that, uh, COPD might come with some, um, some little bit of brain fog there. Anytime those things come up, we need to keep an eye out for possible development of depression or anxiety uh, of the loss of a loved one. Oh, yes. I think you've recently had some podcast on loss of a loved one. So grief is normal. We would expect someone to have some sadness and mm-hmm. some grief, but if that becomes very prolonged over time and, and goes on for months and months and months without any progression, then that definitely would be a red flag. Pain, chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too hard to imagine how chronic pain oh, yes. yeah, could, could cause depression or anxiety. Sometimes... If we see someone lose their independence, whether it's a loss of mobility, sometimes it's simply a loss of social interaction. Perhaps a person has recently retired. We all think of retirement as being a great and wonderful thing, something we look forward to. But for someone whose purpose was very highly intertwined with their, their work or their profession, this can be a time that makes us at risk for some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Insomnia. Insomnia is also something that comes up a lot when someone's battling depression and anxiety. Insomnia is an um, interesting, complex issue. Maybe that's something we can talk about some other day. Yes, I yeah. think that's a great topic. <laughs> All right. Mental yeah. note. Right. <laughs> but um, insomnia definitely... Yeah, it can be a sign that there's something else going on there. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, that's a
0: lot to look for. And don't worry, folks, all of this (laughs) will be available in the blog post and the show notes for this episode. I always print a full transcript of every show. So if you have pieces of this that are ringing true to you or that you want to save and hold on to. You'll be able to save those in that way. We'll always have all of these episodes cataloged for you for easy reference back to them. So now that we've talked about that, I think the, we, did t- we touched on isolation and loneliness a little
1: bit, but I would say that's probably a pretty prevalent issue. Yes, definitely so. We did touch on it a bit, like you said. When we don't feel as well, we tend to isolate whether it's physically not as well, but also emotionally, if we don't feel as well. If we're more depressed, if we're more fearful, then we're more likely to isolate ourselves. And we are social beings. Again, let's go back to the person that's recently retired. A lot of their socialization may have been at a, in a work setting. Right. And now they're stepping back and they don't have as much social interaction. They don't feel like they're as, as part of a community as they as they were before. So they tend to just back themselves up. Yeah. Right. So it's very important as a caregiver, try to keep those social connections, outings to the degree that the person can go out. Social connections even if it's by phone or helping the person do a, a FaceTime, those things still keep us Emotionally or mentally active, right, to the degree possible. Physically, if the person isn't able to go out and walk around Lake Morton, um, then maybe take them out in the wheelchair on the back porch just to get them out in the the sunshine and the light or early evening, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's a little cooler.
0: You know, that that brings up a great memory for me. So, for those that are not from where we are, we live in Lakeland, Florida, and we have a lot of beautiful lakes and spaces for outdoor enjoyment. And I used to walk Lake Hollingsworth every morning. Mm -hmm. And every morning I would go around and see a lot of the same people. And I would pass one house in particular where the wife would wheel her husband in the wheelchair out to the front of the home. And every morning as we passed, he waved to each and every person that passed, which was a lot of people. yeah. yeah. But it was a beautiful thing. And many of us would stop and shout across the street and say, how are you today? And uh, where are the dogs? I don't see the dogs. And we started to learn more about each other. And I marveled at her The way that she came up with that for him because she kept him completely engaged and they did that up until the day before he passed and it made his life rich Mm -hmm. and it also provided her a lot of joy and there was a lot of support for her after he passed because we all had Mm -hmm. gotten to know her so well. Um, So that was a great point. It doesn't always have to be a real intense engagement, but it's being a part of the world and engaging in the world around you in whatever way you
1: can. Right, right. And sometimes, you know, we get pushback from loved ones and, you know, we just, we do have to be a little pushy back ourselves. (laughs) Yes, we do.
0: And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we sometimes, you know, when somebody wants to be difficult, you know, and, and that's such a bad word. I hate using the descriptor as difficult because it's not. It's just being intentional about letting your needs be known. Right. And there is nothing wrong with that. We all have needs, no matter what age we are, no matter what issues we're carrying around with us, we all have needs. And the only way to get those needs met by the people around you is to let them know and that's not a difficulty. That is simply a communication. Right. right. I mean, obviously, the way you communicate things is important. Yeah. And maybe that's a skill that most of us could work on and do better. But it's, I don't think it's being difficult. And especially caregivers who are overwhelmed and trying to do it all, trying to figure it all out, it doesn't make you difficult to communicate the needs that you and your loved one have to others around you. Right. Right.
1: You know, and you see a lot of people who they put a lot of emphasis, especially women, because we're that nurturing, you know, caring type. We want people to eat. Oh, you have Mm -hmm. to eat. You must eat, 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 eat. Take a little bit of that energy that's put toward getting someone to eat uh, because they aren't expending as many calories. Right. They don't necessarily need as much to eat, but take some of that energy and put it into, okay. uh, we need to, to we need to roll outside. Let's go, let's call so-and-so on the phone, you know, take some of that energy and put it into some other avenues. You know, if we always hit a brick wall on a particular area, whether it's eating or medicine or whatever, try a different path because it may still improve their overall health, but in a different way. And certainly
0: their demeanor. And in turn, your demeanor as a caregiver. (laughs) Yes. And let's talk about caregivers for a minute. I don't want them to get lost in this conversation. It is no secret that you must care for yourself in order to be a good caregiver for somebody else. We often, as caregivers, will put our own needs aside because there are only so many hours in the day. But what I've found from personal experience and what you'll hear every professional say is that you have to make yourself a priority. You have to practice self-care. And especially when it comes to your mental health, if you are having struggles, it's imperative that you reach out and find some assistance for that.
1: Right, right. When I've worked in the hospital, you see many caregivers who are just really on the edge Mm -hmm. on the very edge of the end of their ability to cope, their ability to to do everything. And I encourage them, and this may seem uh, a little morbid, but I encourage them to think about what would happen if you were in the hospital yourself for five days. Who would care for your loved one? Who would do that? Most people have an answer for that if push came to shove. And what I suggest is push and shove right now. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And get that person that's your backup Mm -hmm. to come in either once a week for a few hours even so you can go to the store without worrying what's going on while you're going. Or it's okay just to go to a movie. Yes. Or to go shopping. It doesn't have to be something that's essential, like, like groceries. It's okay for you to have a break. Yes. Now, some people feel like they don't have anybody. And that's why you have to give them the ultimatum. What if you couldn't? What if something happened to you? Who would do it? Right.
0: Well, and it's not uncommon for a caregiver to become more seriously ill than the person they're care for they care for, or even pass before the person they've been caring for. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So those plans, I know we talk about pre-planning a lot on this podcast, but it's because it's so important. You have to plan for every possibility, and hopefully most of the plans you won't need. And, mm-hmm. and we all hope that that's the direction things go in, but isn't it better to be prepared? And can you imagine the kind of stress you prevent yourself by being prepared that way and by pushing and shoving right now right. rather than waiting. That is such good advice. Right. Very good. All right. So I we think we've covered a lot. I think we've given everybody a lot to chew on. Is there
1: anything that we missed in our conversation today? I don't think so. I do want to to mention that locally we do at Reliance have uh, brain health assessments that are done by a colleague of mine, Dr. Erin Bush. Um, She's wonderful. Yeah. And, um, if you aren't local, then certainly look into probably through your local Alzheimer's Association, you know, contact them and ask them who does brain health assessments, mm-hmm. um, in your particular area, because that can, is, they're usually very thorough. They're much more in-depth than a physician would have time to do, and that can tell you whether someone um, has some signs of early dementia. Right. It's important for all these things, dementia, depression, anxiety, the sooner you can identify, even if you're at risk, and try to put some things in place. And by things in place, I don't necessarily mean just medication. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But the sooner you can put some things in place, the better. Our society isn't big on prevention, um, at least not the medical part of our society. Sure. Um, But, and I know some people would argue with me about that, but we need to be in the field of prevention. Mm -hmm. Caregivers, for ourselves, we need to be experts. Agreed, 100%. Are there other
0: resources that you would guide people to to learn more about this topic?
1: There are definitely some good resources the National Institute of Health mm-hmm. has free, absolutely free publications that you can order. Dr. Bush and I have quite a few in our office that we could share with people. But you can go on that website and order. You'd be amazed. Yes. yes and I'm going to
0: link that. Everything we mention here, if there's a link that goes to it, you're going to find it in the blog post and show notes. So don't worry about trying to jot those down. We'll have those all gathered in one really... Easy mm-hmm. spot. It'll be a click away for
1: you. The another great website for all things mental health is NAMI, which is the National, I think, Association for Mental, uh, Mental Illness. And they again have publications. They have articles on almost all the diagnoses, information that you could get. And it's, presented all the way from research articles to just things that that you and I would pick up and and just read casually. Great. So those are certainly available to people. The CDC, surprisingly, uh, the website has has a lot of good things on aging and dementia and the World Health Organization as well. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I, I preach it and I mean it every time I say it. I hope that people will take the time to know it before they need it. Yes, it's a hashtag. Yes, it's a little mantra that I use. It's a saying. It's intended to get your attention. It's intended to impress upon you that you need to educate yourself and be aware in order to have the best experience possible, because that's what I want for you. I want everyone to have the best caregiving experience or the best aging experience possible. And the best way to do that is to know it before you need it. So I hope you'll take advantage of all of the resources that we've shared with you today. I hope this conversation was good. Um, We're almost finished, but not quite yet. First, I want to give you an opportunity to give your shameless Plug about Reliance. <laughs> I, I, for one, am a huge fan of everything that Reliance Medical Centers does in this community. I'm so proud of everything that it has become. I've been watching from the beginning, and to say I'm proud of what you guys are doing is an understatement. So yeah. tell us a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited to be a part of Reliance. I just passed my one year anniversary there. Congratulations. I know. Um, because it's a different approach to healthcare, it's a more holistic approach approach. Uh, Dr. Romero, who is our medical director, he believes very much in holistic approach to health. And not only do we offer, of course, all physician services as a primary care physician, but he provides transportation, free Mm -hmm. transportation. There are massage therapists, again, that are free. Um, There's a salon where people can have their, their hair done, their nails done, pedicures. Um, wow. Yeah, there's the whole nine yards right there all together. Um, and that's an exciting kind of concept yes. that takes care of people beyond just, you know, a physical diagnosis and giving them appeal. It's, it's a way to keep people healthy all around right? the big picture. So yep. yeah, I'm proud of, to be a part of it. And it's exciting to see a primary care office mm-hmm. provide these services.
0: Agreed. 100% agreed. So keep up the good work. And now my last question and best question, my favorite, is a little piece of sage advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with. I knew this was
1: coming, (laughs) uh, but I stole my sage advice. Um, I worked with a great mentor for many years, Dr. Rosemarie Lamb. Yes, I know her well. Right. And a, a great champion for the aging population and a wonderful, um, wonderful mentor and resource. But she told me uh, something on the last day that we were working together, and she said, keep moving. Perfect. Simple, to the point, but keep moving. Physically, keep moving. Mentally, keep moving. Just keep exercising that brain. Exercise whatever part of your body you're able to do so. If you're only able to do some some squeezing of, you know, a stress ball, then then to keep moving, keep doing that. So to the degree possible, keep moving. What a great note to
0: end on. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And yes, keep moving. Keep moving in the direction that brings joy to your life. Keep moving in the direction that brings positivity and keep moving in the direction that allows you to learn more and engage more on a day-to-day basis. What good advice that is. And I'm going to embrace that as we move forward. Thank all of you for listening. I hope this conversation is a good addition to your toolbox that we're building. I know that, Sometimes it's hard to find the time to do it, but educating yourself and being proactive is the key to a more positive aging and caregiving experience. And we're committed to helping you along the path with each and every episode of the Sage Aging podcast. So I hope they are hitting the mark for you. I'm so proud of you for making the time to to build on your caregiver knowledge and to spend a few minutes with us every now and then. And you know my mantra. You can say it with me if you want to. Know it before you need it. Now a little housekeeping. Are you receiving our newsletter in your inbox? If not, you'll want to definitely get signed up for that. You can go to the show notes or the blog post for this episode. You can go to our website and look at eldercareguide.com and you can find a link there to get signed up for the newsletter. That's a bi-weekly piece that comes out and we're just gonna throw some tips out there for you, some things that you might need to be aware of. Every new podcast episode is there so I'd encourage you to do that. And if that's not your style, you can connect with us on social media. You can find us most active on Facebook and Instagram but you'll also find us on Pinterest and we're working on some fun things for YouTube for you and also on Twitter Um, so we hope you'll visit us there connect with us and let us know how we're doing and that's it I think that's all we've got for you today I think we've given you enough to chew on Our next episode will be chatting with Barbara Harrington. She's actually going to be with me for two episodes in a row. The very next one will be about Five Wishes, which is an advanced care planning tool. You definitely want to listen to that conversation. Super important. And then the following conversation will be... Um, surrounding the topic, When a Loved One Passes. So not really fun topics and not sexy topics, but certainly important and certainly something that will help you along your way in this journey. Thanks again for joining us, friends. I wish you all the joy and good health that your day can bring. And we'll talk real soon.